I've acknowledged you and dismissed Yay. you. Aww. I know. That's the story of my life. <laughs> Welcome to Stargate Sing, a new Stargate gazing podcast. I'm your host, Mary, and this is your other host, Kathy. Hello. Uh, so we are here to talk about Stargate, uh, all things Stargate, but we're going to do a, a recap, basically, um, starting with the original 1994 movie. The director's cut, right? The Yes, we watched the director's cut, so that's okay. the one we'll be talking about. We're all in on this one, so we yes. went... Go big or go home. We went yes. the long way around. <laughs> it's very important. Very important. Yeah. So the original 1994 Stargate movie um, was directed by Roland Emmerich, who I only know because of the Independence Day movie from a little bit later in the 90s, which is one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. This uh, actually is my second favorite movie, though, right here, Stargate. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jurassic Park's my first favorite. Jurassic Park is amazing. Jurassic Park is, of course, my very favorite. But yeah, that's another story. That's not why we're here. (laughs) That could be another day. Another podcast. (laughs) So we opened with um, basically a long pan of this, like, I don't know, pharaoh face. And it goes on forever. (laughs) Like, and it's great because it has the Stargate theme and it's very nice. But it just goes on and on. And I'm not very fond of overly long opening credits it sort of reminded me of both like a star trek um movie opening credits or space balls where they have the long shots of the ship sharing off the ship but in this case they're just kind of sharing off this pharaoh that mask i don't know or statue i don't even know what it was but it was really long and that is how we started (laughs) Yeah, so I actually just fast-forwarded through that because it was too long for me. I will go ahead and skip ahead then to um, our opening, the opening scene of the actual movie. We have, we have ancient Egypt. We have uh, what, what looks to be a small village as our opening scene. It's nighttime. And then all of a sudden the wind starts to pick up. It gets windier and windier and everybody else is running away and trying to keep stuff from blowing away. But we have this one, uh, I don't really know how, how old you'd say he is, kind of young man late teens maybe um and he is the only one running towards the wind he wants to know what's going on he looks up and we see him looking directly into a bright light and um that's that's pretty much it we don't really know what happens to him until a little bit later on but we'll get to that yeah and then and then we jump to a dig in giza archaeology dig in 1928 where there's a bunch of workers, you know, digging things up and um, a girl is wandering around and she steals a necklace. I don't know if she stole it, but... Good parenting right there. Yeah. You know, priceless artifact. Let the she kid just, wander around on her just, own and take it. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was like, is she allowed to have that? I don't know. But she has it. And then we also see a big scene of them hoisting up a huge ring, which we don't know what that is. It's just a big mystery ring. And 
I was sort of wondering why they were standing it up. Like, did they know they needed to? Yeah, that's a really good question. Like, I wouldn't necessarily... If it was me, I would think, oh, look, this is maybe the top of a well or something. I wouldn't think, oh, I need to make this vertical. <laughs> yeah. I was also thinking, like, how, like, why are they doing it there? Like, it didn't, uh, they clearly didn't keep it there, right? And then, right. But, so why were they, like, I don't know. They're just a big mystery. They're just standing it up. It's- I mean, I'm, I'm no archaeologist, but, uh, yeah, that didn't make any sense to me <laughs> either. <laughs> So this is kind of our introduction to the actual gate. They did at one point have a couple of them looking at um, like kind of what looked like an Anubis figure and saying it looks like a fossil. And they, they really made a point to, to say that, which even after having watched the entire movie, I'm still not exactly clear on their, their point with that. But, uh, but that is worth mentioning because that, that figure comes back a little bit later too. So one thing I guess we can say is that the... Anubis fossil or whatever it is uh, was not included in the original movie. It's one of the director's cut scenes. That's good to know because I actually, when I was watching it, I was like, this is weird. I've seen this movie a bunch and I did actually, I actually did not remember um, that particular part. And that's part of why I thought it was strange. After we close out on that fossil, we go to uh, quote unquote present day with the old 90s cars. (laughs) And we're at some random unidentified college. We have an unidentified woman standing in the crowd at that unidentified college. She's an older woman kind of creeping up on somebody who's giving a talk. And uh, it turns out to be our, our one of our main characters, Daniel. He's giving a talk about the pyramids uh, to a very, very skeptical uh, audience full of old white dudes, because that's what you would see in academia, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> so, so basically, we kind of cut in on the middle of his speech where he's saying he doesn't know who built the pyramids, but that he knows that they are older than we believe. Um, and then basically, he's just met with derision. Everybody laughs, gets up and leaves. Uh, and he's like, is there a lunch or something? That, that everybody? Uh, and that's when the, the older woman then comes up to talk to Daniel, and she's wearing that same talisman that was uh, stolen by our klepto child earlier on, <laughs> so that's what reveals this to to be the same person just many years later. I don't know that we know yet that her name is Catherine, but, but later on in the series, we learn that her name is Catherine, so I'm going to be calling her Catherine moving forward. Yeah, that's a good call, because I also did not remember when. <laughs> I don't think in their initial meeting, like, he even asked her name, like, yeah, it, which is that much weirder that so. he's going to, as we see next, get into this woman's car without <laughs> knowing who she is. <laughs> anyway, he leaves. He's got all his papers with him. The older woman, Catherine, is waiting for him out in the car. She's a very stylish older lady, so I think that those are some kind of squad goals that I have. I'd like to be that, that stylish looking in, a, in a, a decade or so from now. That's fair. I'd like to steal some antiques, too. <laughs> who doesn't want to steal priceless <laughs> antiques? From an archaeological take. <laughs> it's my goal. <laughs> Absolutely. Those are definitely good goals. <laughs> Long story short here, she recruits Daniel under the vague guise of translating some hieroglyphics. Daniel is actually pretty skeptical and he's like, and he kind of didn't really know if he wanted to, to get in on whatever this random unidentified lady was trying to recruit him to. 
But somehow she kind of knew his backstory and knew that he was just evicted from his house and that he had nothing else as far as prospects go. So if that was me, I'd have probably run away at that point. But apparently that was enough to get Daniel on board. And uh, we, we get cut to the next scene. Well, you have to strike a balance between like how desperate am I in life and <laughs> how creepy is the person offering me a hand? Like, this is a good point. Yeah. Everyone has to make their own calculations on that. Absolutely. So after after that meeting, uh, we switch to our uh, our next uh, main character, right? Mm-hmm. Where we go to the house of Jack O'Neill, who is sitting in an empty room, staring at a picture of a a boy in a baseball uniform, and a military person shows up to talk to him and tell him he's been reactivated. Dun dun dun. Uh, yeah. So they've got. A sad, silent guy, and he's in the military, and he's coming back. So I think what's worth adding here is that um, as, as when he's introduced, he's like all um, kind of disheveled and holding a gun. And when mm. I was younger, my, my younger naive self thought that he was just holding it and contemplating it. But as is revealed outside the house, when one of the, the military men who was in the house is like, what's that guy's deal? The other one says his son shot himself with his own service revolver. Uh, so I think the takeaway here is that he was just about to shoot himself and, and would have shot himself if it wasn't for those military men coming in and reactivating him. I think you're right. I just, I'm not, I don't know. I'm just not a detailed person. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, it had never really, it hadn't occurred to me when I was younger watching this, but this was my takeaway watching it now as a much older adult. That makes, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> So from here, we go to a secure facility, uh, Creek Mountain, Colorado. Daniel has allergies, which plays prominently in the movie for some reason. Uh, (laughs) And he has a handkerchief, which totally grosses me out, especially now in the COVID times, that somebody would blow their nose into a handkerchief and then put it in their pocket and reuse it. But he is he's on an elevator and explaining to all the people around him that traveling gives him allergies. And that's why he's... A gross mess. It's not COVID. It's at, allergies. Yeah. At least he sneezed into his elbow. I was. I did give him props for that. That like, is good. Yes. Well never, done. never cough or sneeze into your hand because now your germs are on everything that you touch. There's the biologist in me giving you your lecture. Um, and so we'll move on to where we learn that this is a former nuclear missile silo. The woman does say that it has been uh, recovered, so there are no no longer any nuclear missiles there when this is happening. We're brought down into a huge room where we see like these big, uh, a big, large stone circle that's just covered in hieroglyphics. It is not the same Stargate that we saw in that opening um, archaeological dig. They have a bunch of hieroglyphics and translations written out on a chalkboard, which Daniel looks at and just completely trashes and and then readily fixes it like it's a language that can easily be translated. (laughs) And again, I'm no archaeologist or Egyptologist, but I used to be fascinated. And I do remember reading at one point that you can't just translate it readily like you're reading a foreign language the way that Daniel does here. <laughs> I, I think it's actually a lot harder than it, uh, it than they made it look uh, for to just, you know, translate this sentence into modern day English as that easily. But here we are. That's He's, what happened. You know, super smart. Uh, so, you know. He's he is super smart. He speaks like twenty languages. Although again, I think I might be getting yeah. ahead of us here <laughs> to but, the right. uh, to the show itself. 
He does show up, um, the other scientist who did mm-hmm. the translation, which <laughs> I I was like, oh, that sucks for you, but yeah. you should be happy that people are making progress. <laughs> but he, uh, that scientist, I recognize his name is Richard Kind, and I always want to call him yes. Richard Karn because, th- but that's the guy from <laughs> Home Improvement. Yes, but- <laughs> very different people. <laughs> But, one is L and one is not. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember Richard Kind from, um, I used to watch Spin City once in a while. Oh, yeah. He also will feature far in the future of the Stargate world in an episode or so of Atlantis. Um, oh, I forgot that. Yeah. Yeah, I, he's like, he's one of those that guys. He's just in a bunch of different things. He is. Um, and I am, a, I am a fan of him. And I thought his reaction actually was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> when uh, Daniel Jackson calls him out on having the, the bad translation. <laughs> this is the first place where we hear the word Stargate. Because Daniel says that the last, the last word of the sentence that was on that board should become, should be translated as Stargate. Yes. So at this point, Jack, Colonel Jack O'Neill, all, all cleaned up and, and in his uniform, comes in and uh, is carrying some report and mentions the fact that these these stone tablets were determined to be 10,000 years old, which uh, shockingly makes it too old to be Egyptian and actually supports uh, Daniel's theory that he was spouting at the beginning that the pyramids were too old to be Egyptian. Yeah. Now, not to be a picky biologist again, but I'm a picky biologist, and I, I do need to say that they said that they figured out the age of the ring using sonic and radiocarbon testing radiocarbon testing on a stone artifact does not work radiocarbon testing only works on things that used to be alive so it is technically possible to date a stone artifact by dating the dead matter that was found with it but from what they say in the movie the hushed conversation that they have me being picky they don't say anything about dating the stuff around it they just said that they used radiocarbon dating to get the age of the stone tablet uh, and that is not possible I know. how could that Right. I, I don't know. Why didn't they do their research? I expect more accuracy <laughs> in my science fiction fantasy movies. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> what were they thinking? So O'Neill announces that he is taking over uh, the project, which makes everyone angry. And we should mention that, that Catherine, the, the klepto kid, now grown older, is there. And she's actually one of the people that's most upset about that revelation. Yeah. They mentioned that there's apparently more translating work to do besides those hand glif- hi- handful of hieroglyphics. There's some cartouches on the stone tablets that need to be translated. And so Daniel continues to work on those yep. and is kind of stuck until he happens to be getting some coffee and notices that there's some mention of uh, Orion, the constellation in the, the night guards newspaper that he's reading. And then all of a sudden... Daniel is inspired by looking at that picture of Orion. He snatched the newspaper from the guy and walks away, but he did nicely come back and throw through the window, can I borrow this? Before he runs (laughs) away, which, good for him. (laughs) And then I think the next thing that we're doing is Daniel is explaining to everyone else what he's discovered, Mm -hmm. uh, which is basically that that the symbols on the, the stone are actually these constellations and he does it with all these charts he hands out and it makes a sort of big show about what a giant nerd he is handing out <laughs> charts and kind of mumbling about things and... how dare the scientist want to be accurate I with know. charts <laughs> <laughs> 
So yes, he deserves yeah. the derision that yeah. he gets from That's everybody right. for doing his job. Nerd. <laughs> so he goes through and he kind of explains to them not only that they're constellations, but that they're um uh what's the word I'm looking for? destinations is that that's not what i'm trying to say they you can map a destination yeah they're triangulation points or yes, destination points he, okay. he specifies that you need seven points in three-dimensional space yeah. to get a uh, well six points to get a destination right. and then you need a, a point of origin so that brings you to seven yeah. points so there's a nice little square he draws a cube excuse me he draws with all the points in the cube and then the destination point and then richard kind is like that's not on the device. And Daniel's like, what device? <laughs> Before we move on, though, we do need to mention the fact that this thing is supposed to be 10,000 years old and stars move. Oh, yes. And so the the layout of the stars that are in these constellations would not be exactly the same 10,000 years later. So they would not have had the same constellations then that we observe now. Yeah. And there so that like, was one point of contention, too. Yeah, and they're, like, recognizable constellations, like, the same ones that are used that were, I, it's not, like, from what I had read, were developed, like, by mostly, or many of them by, like, the Greeks much later than that would have happened. It's, you know, some of, some of these constellations, the star arrangement might have been mostly the same, but, but for sure, why would they have had the exact same constellations that we still use today yeah. when, uh, I guess, the Greeks could have rediscovered them, but I'm skeptical. <laughs> yeah so but yeah so they 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 have their 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 big moment of revelation and then it turns out daniel hasn't been given all the information <laughs> so they press a button and a window opens and there it is Ta-da! and Catherine says it's your stargate yeah after daniel asks what is that <gasps> oh my god it's amazing so then they they go down to the Stargate and Daniel finds the seventh symbol that they couldn't, that wasn't on the, uh, or that Richard Kind didn't think was on the device, but really is because it looked slightly different than it did in the drawing. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's hard <laughs> to explain it because it was technically on the stone covering, but it did, it did look different it's basically the best way you can say it but that brings to me that brings the question though of like if they knew the six other symbols and the proper order couldn't they have figured out the seventh one kind of like by process of elimination like you know like turn it on dial in the first six and then just pick a seventh one at random and if it works great and if it doesn't work try the next one i don't really understand why finding that seventh symbol was was such a big deal i don't know maybe it like took so much power and I don't know, cost too yeah. much. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe they were afraid that, like, I don't know, random explosions would happen if they chose wrong. I guess they didn't really know what it was going to do, so maybe it's just that the, the risk was too great to just choose at random. So that's another thing. What are they all prepared for <laughs> if they didn't know what it was going to do? Like, how did question. they even, like, have a theory on what it could be doing? Like, right. We do later learn that the metal it's made out of is very volatile, yeah. so this could have ended very badly for them. <laughs> But here we are. They've done their <laughs> things. Daniel figured out the uh, the the right the seventh symbol to, that they can then dial the gate, which they do immediately. Like they of were course. ready for this. They were ready. They were like, yeah. They're they were, like, they were if we figure it out, deck. it's a go. <laughs> we are not waiting around. What if what if the naysayers like get in there and 
throw doubts around. No, we're just doing it. Just go. Just yeah. go. So they, they, they dial the gate. There's a lot of like electricity crackling around the gate and like the, so the, the ring spins in the middle. Or not in the middle, but the inner ring. Like there's an outer ring and an inner ring to the Stargate. The inner ring spins. Yes? Yeah. Yes. So they dial it and then there's this huge like puddle looking whirlpool whoosh thing. That... <laughs> Perfect description. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, a vertical. Happens... We should specify yeah. that the Stargate is still vertical, I suppose. We haven't really clarified yes. that, but yeah, it's, they, it's still upright. They knew it. The, the good thing, I guess, yeah. but... <laughs> So that ha- they do that, and then immediately they're ready to send through some sort of um, probe um, device to uh, check out what's going on through the the puddly thing that just appeared in the middle of the ring. Right. One thing I wanted to know is why they didn't bother to try to sample the watery substance. Like they just, like I mean, I guess they figured out it was a Stargate, so it must be a portal to something, but. I would think that they would want to like be like, what is this water? Is this water? Is this something else? Let's try to sample it yeah. first. And that's not a thing that we see them doing. So they basically, they send out through their probe and then they analyze the data they get back to see if they can make a trip. Right. Yeah. So yeah. we learned that the probe, um, I don't really know how we track it across the uh, known universe, essentially. I don't have no idea how they managed to track that, but with some mystical technology, we're able to track that. And the probe figures out that the atmosphere on the other side is almost an exact match to the atmosphere on this side, meaning that that's safe for people to actually pass through the Stargate at yeah. that point. And I guess we can assume that since the probe made it intact, that people will also make it through in one piece. Sure. I mean, people and things are basically the same. And, right. You know. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then... Yeah, the other thing, too, like, they see pictures sent of the gate on that side, Mm -hmm. and so they know there's a gate there they can hopefully get home through, which Daniel then assures them he can do. Yes, that, well, it is very important that they at least try to take the time to figure out whether or not they can get back before they just send people through. That is true. We do take a quick cut to O'Neill and his CO, who sounds exactly like Hammond from the show, but doesn't look like Hammond. It doesn't have the same name. And they're just looking at that same weird fossil thing from earlier and saying, this complicates things. And we kind of leave it at that cliffhanger, which I think is also a director's cut scene. Ah. Catherine gives Daniel her uh, amulet for good luck. Her stolen necklace. Her stolen amulet for good luck, because, you know, it was such good luck to the poor digger who probably got in a lot of trouble for losing this artifact <laughs> that, uh, that you know, it's going to totally bring Daniel some good luck. Yeah. Armed and ready, of course, because, you know, that's how we roll here. They have the big guns out. The whole team of men uh, go through the gate. And we have the fun, fun kind of roller coastery scene, which actually at the time was like, really cool computer graphics yeah um the scene that they that they created to to give us the the feeling of passing through the stargate and then we get to the other side and uh, daniel's told it wears off in a minute (laughs) i do want to mention too like the military guys just kind of like go through like that's just what they do and daniel like takes his time and is like feels the 
the portal and like has wonder on his face and that was kind of nice because i was like aren't you guys excited about this right. i was actually thinking the exact same thing i didn't uh i didn't make a note of it but yeah i was thinking the same thing when i was watching that how could you not be completely full of wonder that you're about to go through this mystery thing and you're literally going to the other side of the known universe yeah. and they're just like all right let's let's do this big deal it's just another day except for daniel yeah. who is the only one <laughs> yeah yeah so yep that's a good point so then we're through i thought it was weird that they're just lighting up flares like yes! why why oh. are flares your default light source why I, not a flashlight i did write popping flares down so <laughs> So yeah, so it's a completely dark room, uh, some kind of cave we don't really know yet, and they're just cracking flares to, to be their light source. Um, hopefully there's nothing flammable nearby. I'll just put this over here with the rest of the fire. Because I, I guess that they knew from the probe that the, the air itself wasn't flammable, but like, what if there was flammable stuff in the ceiling or like just outside a frame of the, what the probe was able to see? <laughs> Thankfully that wasn't the case. So they start kind of making their way through and then they get outside and i don't know what they're doing the military guys are doing outside daniel's looking around he wants to explore more which it turns out is because he doesn't actually 100 percent know how to get home yet <laughs> that's a problem uh, which o'neill's not you know happy about and neither are the other military guys either i think one of them pushes him Yes, actually. Um, is it Harry from uh, Third Rock that pushes him? Which means that this is canonical Third Rock from the Sun, ah. since we have Harry showing up here. See, I got that hip-hop street, don't care about nothing, because I'm all of that and a side of fries kind of attitude. He is in it. I don't know if he's the pusher, but yeah, he's definitely in it. One thing I suppose worth mentioning is that when they do turn around, after once they get outside, they turn around and they see that they were inside a pyramid that has a couple obelisks on either side. And up in the sky, we see that there are three moons, which can, in fact confirms the fact that they are definitely not on Earth anymore. Fake news. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, it also turns out O'Neill has a mission of his own. Yes. So I, I think we see a scene of him... Uh, Playing with some sort of device that might be looking like a bomb, maybe? Yeah, it looks yeah. like he's getting ready to, to kind of put together a device that looks very much like a nuclear weapon. Yeah. yeah. So he's doing that while there's a bunch of dudes in tank tops outside doing their military dude things. I don't know. <laughs> well, one th another thing that I was wondering about is that at one point, O'Neill mentions that he wants to uh, have this wrapped up in an hour and have everyone back in the gate. But they're outside setting up a camp. Like, why yeah. are they setting up a camp if they were only going to be there for an hour? Well, it was a little weird to have all this gear out doing right. stuff with it. And, and why did they need that much gear if, again, they were going to be there for an hour? I mean, like, I guess it's good to bring some gear through in case you get stuck there, which they did. But right. they were already out there setting up camp when O'Neill came out and said that they wanted to be back through in an hour. Yeah. I, I don't know. I know I'm really picky with this movie. I really do love this movie. <laughs> I think it's I think it's I think it's fun to pick apart things a little absolutely. bit. So, absolutely. Yeah. As I said, Jurassic Park is my favorite movie and I like rip that to shreds every time that I see it, but I still just love it so much. So good. <laughs> so outside after while well, O'Neill's inside uh, doing his weapon shenanigans, we see Daniel outside trying to pick up some of the stuff like, like his papers kind of blown around at this point. Um, he he comes over the crest of a hill and he sees a set of footprints 
in the sand that are clearly not made by any of the people that were there. So ta-da, we know that we have life on this planet. And he follows those footsteps and we find this kind of ugly giant furry horse thing eating a plant. So we have both plants and animals uh, on this planet. But um, not only that, the, the horse-like animal, which I think actually doesn't really look like a horse, but I think it actually is a horse wearing a costume. Ah. I think I remember reading that a long time ago. And um, it, it turns out that this animal is wearing a harness. So now we know that it is domesticated, which means that either either humans or, or some other sort of intelligent life is on this planet has been, and has been domesticating animals. Yeah. The animal uh, spooks and it has a rope tied to it and around its harness. And so, of course, because we Daniel's pretty much already been established as a pretty bumbling character. So, of course, that rope gets tangled <laughs> around his foot and Daniel gets dragged off through the desert. Yeah, it's I feel like it's supposed to be funny, but all I could think about was how painful that must have been. Oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> uh, that can't have felt very good. But yeah, but the ride of convenience takes him where they need to go yes that is it was very convenient where they find that there are other there's civilization i think they see Mm -hmm. yeah we ended up like on a yeah well i don't think this is actually the city but we end up on an encampment outside of okay yeah and then eventually all the the military guys did were were kind enough to at least try to follow daniel and help him (laughs) so that's good yeah Um, and and so they catch up and send daniel forward as the translator one a, a younger a younger guy probably i'd say like maybe mid mid teens age yeah. sees them first standing up on the hill and alerts everybody so at this point now everybody in the encampment is watching daniel and the others coming down the hill and uh, so they go fetch their leader and uh, the leader's brought out to, to to greet them and daniel goes forward and uh, not too surprisingly because there's ten thousand years separated between the the completely dead language that daniel has learned and the living language that is on this planet so daniel has no idea (laughs) what the leader is saying yeah kind of to the chagrin of all the military men who assumed he'd be able to translate without a problem for some reason (laughs) but through a series of hand gestures and offerings of water to the the earthlings i guess we could call them uh and offerings of a fifth avenue candy bar to the village leader the the leader gestures to bring them back to to the actual city itself (laughs) Fifth Avenue candy bar, little delicious universal food. <laughs> do, they, do they even make them anymore? I don't. Think I they don't do, know. I I don't remember the last time I've seen one. Although once in a while I come across a candy that I think must have not been made anymore, but then there it is in a store. Maybe yeah. they're just really old. I don't know. <laughs> like that whatchamacallit is from like 1995. Yeah, I used to love those too. Me too. <laughs> I don't want one from 1995 though. Hard pass. The guys are taken back to the city. We we kind of have a little trek scene where I don't know how far the city is from the encampment, but eventually they get back to the city and are allowed in. And then the the first thing that happens when everybody, when they, they walk in the city is that everybody looks at Daniel and looks at the amulet that he's still wearing and bows down before the new arrivals. And then we pan up and overhead over all of these villagers that are bowing down, we see a, a giant eye of Ra that is identical to the eye of Ra that is on Daniel's amulet. Um, and so our, our takeaway from this is that because Daniel's wearing that same symbol, he must be a deity just like Ra is, or possibly even an incarnation of Ra or sent by Ra. At this point, while everybody's kneeling, we get a radio message from the base camp. And there's some sort of a big sandstorm. 
camp is being abandoned, but that message isn't coming through very well. So the Earth team doesn't really understand exactly what's happening. So they try to turn around and leave to go back to, to check in with their base team. And all of a sudden the locals jump up and, and try to stop them from leaving. They start trying to, to bar the gate. And so, uh, of course, being the Americans that we are, they take their big weapons and start firing on the mostly unarmed locals who at best have sticks against these semi-automatic weapons, right. which I really forgot how problematic some of yeah, these movies is. Looking at it from uh, 2020, this is a really problematic scene. <laughs> That real, it never really struck me how bad this scene really is. But these these natives, I don't think anyone was actually hit because they were thankfully shooting at the ground. But I mean, talk about escalation of violence here. Yeah, they are shooting at a bunch of essentially unarmed men with these really deadly weapons that those people have never even seen before and don't can't possibly understand. Yeah. But thankfully, we do end up with O'Neill getting talked down, and uh, the the kid takes O'Neill up and, and, and gestures towards the, the incoming sandstorm so that O'Neill yeah. understands that they're blocking them in not to keep them as prisoners, but to prevent them from going out and hurting, getting hurt and lost and, and possibly killed out in the storm. Oh, uh, and a, okay. And a, yeah. <laughs> I guess we won't oh, kill I you. I guess we're protecting our lives. Fine. <laughs> um, one thing I did appreciate, though, is how pissed off Daniel was uh, and even comments on the fact that it was pretty ridiculous for them to be shooting yeah. at the villagers for just trying to help them. Yeah, and I think one of them apologizes, but I was like, they don't understand you. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, well, yeah, you're right. One one guy did apologize, yeah. but they, they would have no idea what that meant. So despite this hostility, uh, the villagers still let them stay and keep them safe during the sandstorm. Right, they're still super welcoming. Yep. <laughs> as you would be. Yeah. I mean, I guess they did think that they were gods, so they probably were afraid not to be welcoming. That is fair. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they feed them, right? And... Mm-hmm. Give yeah, and, and with a with a lizard like thing that apparently tastes, tastes like, like chicken. chicken. Yep, and you know there's some clucking that happens from Daniel because he is the comic relief. <laughs> of course, they still can't communicate with the outside world or with their people outside. And at, at this point, Daniel tries to communicate with them because he's trying to find where he might be able to find the symbols that are on the Stargate or that he needs to get them back home. So in order to try to communicate, he starts writing some symbols with his finger oh, in the yeah. sand, and the leader here gets very upset. And it's at this point that we that we determine that writing has actually been forbidden for, from this society. So that's right. Theoretically, nobody here knows how to read or write, and it, it is generally forbidden. You cannot you cannot communicate with writing. Yeah. So then. Daniel uh, is let off, I guess, kind of to try to distract him from what he's trying to do by writing in the sand. He's let off. Oh, I uh, didn't think about that. Sorry, I didn't think of yeah. it that way. OK, go ahead. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it also has to do with the fact that he's the one wearing the amulet and that's why why he's getting the best treatment. He's taken off, cleaned by uh, a bunch of random women. Yeah. And then the young woman that we've seen periodically offering him water earlier on and uh, in a couple other scenes shows up at his tent and yeah. she starts to undress, and thankfully Daniel does the right thing here, and has her immediately put her clothes back on and tell her that she does not need to do that for him. Yeah. Uh, so th thank you, Daniel, for for doing that. He tries to send her on her way, um, but as soon as they open the door to the tent, the the village leader is out there and completely flips out. We still don't understand what they're saying, but the 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 poor young woman is is looking very shocked and and confused and afraid of the leader who's yelling at her. So. 
Daniel kind of gives in and, and well, not, not gives in in a, uh, in a take advantage of the woman kind of way, but gives in and just uh, pl- tries to play it cool and is like, um, yeah, thank you for offering to let me rape this woman and uh, brings her back into the tent where he thankfully does not do that. And instead yeah. they continue trying to communicate with each other yeah. and are able to learn each other's names eventually. Yeah. And then she is, then she draws the symbol, the little, the triangle with the circle, the dot over it in right. the sand. Yes. So that's really important. We learned that her name is Showery and he's able to tell her that his name is Daniel in Daniel's attempts to communicate we learn that she does actually know how to read and write. And um, he gestures to her that he wants to go where he saw that symbol or where she saw that symbol, which I thought was a little bit of a stretch, but uh, (laughs) well, I'll I'll let that one slide for the sake of carrying the story along. (laughs) So something's happening at base camp. Um, A giant pyramid lands on top of the pyramid. (laughs) The soldiers are very concerned. For good reason. Um, yeah. There's a bunch of electricity, too, while it's landing. And I was like, what's that about? Yeah, a lot of lightning. Yeah. Uh, unexplained lightning. Yeah. And then after it lands, pretty much immediately the soldiers start to be dropped and dragged off. Like, they they don't even see what is assaulting them. They are just getting hit and they're going down. Then we do see some uh, dudes in huge, terrifying helmets and headdress. And... Is that the point where we see the glowy eyes too? I can totally hear your cat snoring. <laughs> um, <so> yes, <laughs> that's perfectly fine. You know, cats happen, especially when you're recording podcasts in a pandemic. Like seven feet from me. <laughs> it's adorable. Uh, yes, this is where we see the glowy eyes. So it's kind of like an Anubis, like the dog-headed figure. And yeah. I remember when I was a, uh, a kid watching this, I thought it was like the creepiest thing. Um, still pretty yeah. chilling um, yeah. now, but knowing knowing what it is uh not as chilling as when i remember first watching yeah. this as a child and i thought that it was like really freaky those headdresses were really like nicely designed i think they like, were they were uh, yeah. yeah they whoever the uh, the costume team was or the effects team i thought did a very beautiful yeah. work, um with those headdresses so so then i think then we flip back over to the town right yeah right, we, where uh there's some bonding going on between O'Neill and the young boy or teenager. I have a different take on this. Oh. To me, this is just another scene of O'Neill being a tool. <laughs> that is probably also fair. I... Because, I mean, up to this point, he's kind of been a tool. And now he's just continuing to be a tool. I mean, he's legitimately going through some stuff. So I suppose I shouldn't really like, be so hard on him. But it's really pretty a jerk a pretty jerk move that he is doing in this scene He's... of trying to go ahead uh, yeah. trying to teach this kid how to smoke and then laughing at him <laughs> yeah so yeah so the kid's trying to smoke and he chokes on the smoke which is totally like predictable and o'neill gives the kid his lighter and then i think the kid touches the gun or picks mm-hmm. up the gun and o'neill loses his shit because guns are not for kids right well i mean at least this is very true and that is good um however he might have handled it a little bit nicer but again i'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for having ptsd yes um, yeah he does kind of get a pass from me even though i said he's being a tool he kind of gets a pass from me on because he's got some trauma happening that's not being addressed clearly guns are not for kids but guns are especially not for kids in front of the guy whose child just killed himself (laughs) with a gun yeah Yeah. yes absolutely accidentally (laughs) yeah yeah um but I, I, you know, that is kind of 
a little bit of character building i think here though to to o'neill's benefit that we see that he actually does uh kind of care like he's been super callous up to this point and even though he overreacted to the situation i think it does go to show that he is actually like deep down under the gruff exterior a, a, a kind of caring person even despite the the problems that we've seen with his his attitude so far yeah we end up in uh i don't really know exactly what this building is it's a, a crypt of some sort or or perhaps a shrine of some sort in any case we're inside another building and we're with showery and daniel again exploring a bunch of uh hieroglyphics the first hieroglyphics i think that we've really seen on this new planet through exploring these hieroglyphics with daniel trying to pronounce the words as he knows them to be pronounced showery is able to correct his pronunciation and he realizes that he actually does know their language even though it's a ten thousand year old language <laughs> that would have evolved over time but we'll, so again, we'll give smart it... he's so smart he just hears the differences and can just he look does. past them and he, knows... he just hears yep yep so, so they're able to communicate, and suddenly he's fluent in ancient Egyptian, <laughs> and uh, Showery and Daniel are able to have a, a, a nice little he, conversation here. He might also be magic. I don't know. He, he, could, he could very well be magic. <laughs> yes, that is entirely possible. And then at this point, I think then we go back to mm-hmm. O'Neill. Yeah, and... we don't really see what they're talking about in that crypt. We go ahead to the uh, the village yeah. again. And O'Neill's looking for Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, so he... There's a silly scene where he's asking um, the young kids, the young, you know, younger kids, not kids, teenagers, uh, where Daniel is. But he, again, because of the language barrier, he do- start ends up doing all of these like miming, like trying to like mime that he has glasses and that he sneezes, and then eventually they get it with the clucking chicken thing. Of course, <laughs> because. That's who Daniel is. He sneezes, wears glasses, and he clucks. <laughs> Defining characteristic. And then I think we jump back to Daniel and Showery, right? We do. Yeah. yeah. At this point, they're continuing to to have a conversation, and they're continuing to read the hieroglyphics, and they are able to figure out the entire uh, backstory of the people that are on this planet. So we learned that that the what is known generally as as Ra, it was actually an alien um, being who was dying and traveling around space in a ship. He managed to find ancient humans, ancient Egyptians on Earth, and decided to take on a human body to cheat death. And so everyone, again, as we saw in the scene before, everyone else ran away, but one boy approached, and they actually made a a point of mentioning that um, when giving the backstory here. And so that one boy who was braver than everybody else was, was essentially taken over. Yeah. By Ra. He, he took over his body, a body snatcher, and <laughs> used the Stargate to bring humans to a new planet where he would be able to, to rule over them. Back on Earth, there was an uprising, and the Stargate was, was eventually buried where, where it was later on found many, many millennia later. And on the new planet, because they didn't want anybody reading about the uprising that had happened back on Earth, uh, writing was banned in order to prevent any further uprising. It was... Not banned well if so many thousands of years later, people still know how to read. They just hide it. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Like, it's supposedly been, we don't really know exactly how many thousands of years since the Stargate was buried. It's supposedly 10,000 years, so there's a lot yeah. of math that doesn't really add up here. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, how do, how do people still know how to read, <laughs> if that's the case? Yeah. It is here that we find the, the tablets with the six symbols that they require. Um, but unfortunately, as luck would have it, the seventh symbol 
has broken off of the tablet and um, when they do find the piece that had that seventh symbol it is so worn down with sand that it's completely unreadable no no more soldiers getting their asses kicked is what happens next so we're back at the base camp and we see that the spaceship um which is sitting on that pyramid kind of as a a dock and uh inside the pyramid the team uh is attacked by godlike aliens this is the new team now because the, the people that were in the city had returned to the base at this point. Right. O'Neill takes Daniel down to the Stargate um, and tries to launch the nuke, which Daniel is very upset to learn exists. <laughs> but they find that it's gone. So we get this kind of, it's almost like a transporter like we would have in Star Trek, except that before the person transports down, there's a series of rings that transports down and makes a cool buzzing noise. Uh, as Kathy said, Kathy, do it. Oh, <laughs> that wasn't it. That wasn't yeah, that it. That sounds <laughs> just like it. So it sounds just like that. Um, and we have one of those godlike guards transporting down. And a few, a bunch of other guards come down the stairs and take O'Neill and Daniel captive. And they're brought to a giant throne room. Yes. And then in comes Ra wearing, is, is this where he's wearing the creepy creepy headdress i think he's wearing the headdress he's wearing a really creepy headdress uh creepy af as i remember when i was a kid i thought this was also freaky even more so than the the guards earlier and he's surrounded by a child entourage which is totally normal and not at all disturbing turns out that they have the bomb because it's brought in on uh uh, on a pallet uh essentially and um, at this point, we also learn that those those metal godheads are are not actually the heads of aliens, but they're just helmets. And so these helmets are removed, and we learn that these people are are quote unquote human. Either they're human or they are human looking beings, including Ra himself. But they don't just take them off; they just kind of like there's a mechanical thing, and they like unfold around their head. Right? Yeah, it's they really have cool. like a yeah, they have a cool retracting yeah. feature to them. So here, everybody bows down before Ra and uh, O'Neill tries to go for one of their their cool staff weapons. These things are like eight feet tall and and shoot bolts of electricity. A guard tries to shoot O'Neill, but Daniel proves himself to be a selfless hero and throws himself in front of O'Neill, taking the hit and dying in the process. O'Neill manages to get a weapon and points it at Ra. However, all of the children, with Ra being the the very brave, very brave Mm -hmm. god that he is, blocks himself with a human child shield and O'Neill, of course, will not shoot a child, so he allows himself to be taken down by another guard. Uh, O'Neill is thrown into a water pit prison, and we do learn here that the other guys, the other the other Earthlings, haven't been killed, but they've actually been taken prisoner. So about this pool prison of theirs, yes, where is it? Why? <laughs> why is it wet? Like, is that wastewater? Is that their <laughs> drinking water? It's a desert. These are good questions. I don't like, know. I assume the prison is on the ship, like, but yeah. like, why is there, like, a vat of water that they're throwing people in? That's, That's super gross. Seems like an ineffective <laughs> yeah. prison to have on your spaceship. <laughs> Just... yeah. a spaceship in the desert. Why it has a water prison. Yeah. Oh my god, it's their gray water for showers. <laughs> it's okay for them to throw people in it. They just don't drink it. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so that was, yeah, I don't know why the prison was wet, but no, nope. it's wet. It's a water, watery prison. <laughs> yes. 
At this point, we have a bunch of aircraft that are sent out to fire on the city because reasons. And, I wrote uh, that Dan- too, for reasons. <laughs> nice. Yeah, For reasons. Uh, Daniel magically wakes up. He, he was magically resurrected in a sarcophagus, a very special type of sarcophagus. I do not understand why they bothered to bring Daniel back to life. That makes absolutely no sense in the context of the storyline, but yeah. good for us that they did because, you know, he's one of the main characters. Yes. And it was pretty shocking. I remember the first time I saw this being like, oh my goodness, this, you know, this main character who admittedly as a kid, I had a pretty big crush on up to that <laughs> point was suddenly dead. Yeah. And I was very upset. But then there he is. And why isn't anyone keeping an eye on him? Like, he just gets up out of the sarcophagus, having been resurrected, and starts wandering around. Yeah, and he, is the, he follows a kitty. He does follow a kitty, and in following a kitty, he finds Ra's dressing room. <laughs> yeah. <I> just... <laughs> and uh, so, of course, in his dressing room, he's still surrounded by these children, which is still disturbing. Yep. Daniel realizes that he's been dead. He, uh, he, he doesn't just think he was asleep. He, he does ask how he's come back to life. Ross says that human bodies are easy to repair, which is why he took one on as his own body. And so at this point, he tells of his plan to send the nuclear bomb back through the Stargate with the same type of metal that the Stargate is made from. And that metal will, in fact, multiply the effect of the nuclear weapon 100 fold, thus destroying the entire planet Earth that we all know and love. And somehow he expects that Daniel is going to be convinced to kill all of his pals all of his his earth pals somehow and for some reason oh the needs of the many mary <laughs> but it doesn't even <laughs> save anyone if he kills them so that's, no <laughs> it's not even a needs of the, yes the needs of the many thank you spock but it's not a needs of the many situation <laughs> kill your friends and then i'm gonna kill everyone you've ever known <laughs> yes yeah exactly so, oh, so it's more and like then, and then i'll probably kill you too <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know. I'm thinking about Emperor's New Groove, where, yes. it, where she's like, uh, tell us where the talking llama is and we'll burn your house to the ground. That's... <laughs> and they're like, Don't, Don't you need, need or? or? <laughs> All right. <laughs> that, That's where the talking llama is or, or we'll, we'll burn your house to the ground. <laughs> well, which is it? It's a pretty crucial <laughs> I've seen that movie too many Me too. times. Or just the right number of times. I think my number of times is still not enough. Um <laughs> Or that. I agree. I love that movie. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, my God. Will Daniel kill them all? <gasps> we don't know. We skip ahead to Showery, who is talking to some of the local villagers, um, who we learn that the, um, the the kid who has been trying to defriend, befriend O'Neill is named Skara, and, and Skara's seeming best friend is named... Uh, the, the, the subtitle said looked like Nabe, but she pronounces it Nabewa, so that's how I'll say it. And they learned about she tells them about the entire history that uh, she and daniel discovered down in that crypt so then we get to a scene where ra has gathered people and that um he's got he's putting on a show for daniel to execute his friends or friends you know the best kind of the people he knows (laughs) on the planet (laughs) they're not really yeah (laughs) his fellow earthlings yes it turns out that Daniel's not going to kill his people. That's, you know, he turns his gun on the guards instead. And it also turns out that Skara and his friends have guns in the crowd. So then chaos ensues and O'Neill and they all escape. And then suddenly yeah. the revolt is over and it's nighttime yeah. and we're in a sandstorm. 
Um, so they put a quick end to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were kind of just firing into the crowd. Yeah. Uh, the guards were firing into the crowd and people do die. Um, locals were firing into the air. So it was a really unproductive battle. Yeah. Although I think people died. Yeah. There, there were some people that died, but I think there were more people that died from the, the attack on the, the city that happened after, after the, the, the airships were sent out. Yeah. Okay. And then I wrote that the mask moves in such sadness and failure. And I don't know what that's about. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> oh, you know what? Because the ears on those masks like move. And the ones oh. the guards. <laughs> that's what I, oh, I didn't even notice. Yeah, that. they move. So like, or I don't know if they're ears, but like part of it moves. And I was yeah. like, oh, they're like dog ears. So sad. Oh, flopping over. <laughs> so there's failure and the masks reflect that. <laughs> I guess. I, I totally missed out on that one. No matter how many times I've seen this. I don't need to put that in. So we end up in a random cave. Everyone is celebrating the the victory, the supposed victory that they just had. Although, uh, as I said, it seemed like a kind of random and pointless battle where not really a whole lot happened, except a, a few people did die. But it was the, the good guys that died. So I'm not really sure why they're really celebrating at this point. Maybe they're just living off that high of like rebelling. Right. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, well, yeah, it yeah. could be that. O'Neill uh, continues to yell at everybody. <laughs> be grumpy. <laughs> Daniel makes him tell everybody about the bomb. So apparently even um, O'Neill's men, all the, the other military guys that, that were had come through, had no idea about the nuclear weapon or O'Neill's plan. And it is actually here that we learned that O'Neill's plan was to send everybody else back through and then stay behind with the nuclear weapon, blowing up the Stargate and himself in the process so that nobody could pass through the Stargate ever again. Yep. <laughs> I think that there's... Some disagreement between O'Neill and Jackson on this point. Absolutely. And then I also wrote down, I think one of the... I'm just going to talk about it, but I don't... I wrote down, I don't want to die. It's a shame you're in a hurry, too. (laughs) Which I think is quotes from them, but I don't remember why I wrote that down. So... It's worth mentioning. So, I mean, I assume that... O'Neill is the one who's in a hurry to die, and Jackson yes. tells him that. So That is how I yeah. recall it, yes. Yeah. And then I wrote down Raw Mad. And Hulk. <sighs> Smash. But. <laughs> so detailed. So, I know. I'm so sorry. That's fine. Um, I do have, like. I, I guess I'll talk I'm about sorry. it. I'm <laughs> sorry. Uh, so we end up back at the pyramid again. Ra is fuming over his apparent defeat uh, earlier, or just the fa- at the fact that, that people rebelled. So um, he dons some sparkle bling on his hand that we That's that we funny. find has an electrical charge to it, and he uses it to first uh, shock and uh, like electrical shock, not not like oh my goodness shock, but shock a, a guard and send him across the room essentially and then he puts his hand on the guard's head and uses his sparkle bling to electrocute the guard until he is dead and the children continue to stare creepily on this whole scene they might be used to raw mad i don't know <laughs> they're probably used to raw mad <laughs> and then i think we go back to daniel mm-hmm. where he learns he's married what yes <laughs> I hate when I get surprised married. It's the worst. <laughs> you know, it is the worst. <laughs> so inconvenient. It also turns out he's doing the woman's work, which yes. is not okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> uh... 
he's being made fun of pretty hardcore oh. by all the all the boys for doing <laughs> yeah. the women's work because he's like cleaning a thing. How oh dare he clean God. a thing? And so, wanting to know about why he's married, he goes and talks to Shari and <laughs> is like, "We're married." They, I guess, the conversation kind of makes it clear that that by her being sent to him and them supposedly getting it on, that meant that they were married. Ah, yes. She says that I didn't tell them that you rejected me. And so uh, then he just not very consensually moves in and kisses her, which was kind of not okay. But then I guess she's into it. So we're supposed to think that that's okay. But uh, different cultures, different times. When I was a kid, you know, <laughs> again, I hate kind of looking. Yeah. Well, yeah, because yeah. when I was a kid, I thought this was such a romantic scene. And now several decades later, as an adult, I have issues with this. Yeah. You know, especially given today's climate. But uh, but yeah. but yes, different times. <laughs> Then we kind of fade out, and a uh, sex amount of time later, Skara is drawing a picture of their victory, and conveniently, that picture is the seventh symbol that we needed. How do we, we know needed. that? I don't know, but we do. <laughs> Ta-da! <sighs> yeah, magic. Okay, yep. now we can go home. Yay! We then go back to the mines, where they're doing a bunch of manual labor and then yeah. O'Neill kills a guy it... he kills the guard specifically <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty crucial distinction <laughs> just to watch him die <laughs> yeah just to watch him die he kills the, the, he kills the, the guard, guard that everyone thought was a god yes does proving that he is not a god he's just another person with a fancy headdress and and the the locals are completely scandalized yeah. by this revelation <laughs> they fight is that they do. yeah do they i don't know i wrote fighting begins so they start fighting and they get in the pyramid and the doors of the pyramid close Mm-hmm. Uh, inside the pyramid, Ra orders his guards to send the bomb down to the gate. We have a train of locals coming in that are bringing some offerings, but shh, it's Skara in disguise. <gasps> and then we see that Shaori and O'Neill um, and some of the other Earthlings are also part of this this train of lo- uh, supposed locals uh, in disguise that are coming to make offerings. O'Neill and the others start a firefight. Which Daniel is now surprisingly okay with killing people because he has absolutely no training that we're aware of and should, as a non-military man, probably have some sort of issue with it. But he's totally fine with suddenly shooting uh, the guards. So aircraft are sent out to fire on everybody outside. And Ra again says that they need to send the bomb right now. So the guard very seriously says, I will send it myself. Uh, and so we go down to the gate at this point where O'Neill is arming the bomb and trying to destroy the gate. Okay. He has seven minutes to get, uh, Daniel has seven minutes to get everyone back on earth. Okay. After we see that we have seven minutes on the bomb for Daniel to get everybody through, a random guard comes down and uh, kills Shaori and then they kill that guard. And then the, the other guard who was just sent down by Ra teleports down. <laughs> And um, Daniel takes advantage of the teleporter. So as these oh, rings yes. are coming down, he takes Shaori 
Shaori's body jumps into that teleporter and then the guard is transported down and Daniel is te- uh, teleported up at the same time. Okay. O'Neill fights the guard and Daniel puts Shaori in a sarcophagus okay. to be resurrected. And OMG, four minutes left. Yeah. Um, and then we're... Uh, Skara and his friends are still out there fighting their fight. Mm-hmm. And his good pal, whose name you told me, but I can't remember. Nabewa. Nabewa, because I did not write that down. Uh, <laughs> he dies, sadly. Yeah, that was a little bit of a dark scene because he was a pretty innocent character yeah. and they show explosions happening behind him and then they show his helmet um, that he had borrowed yeah. from one of the military guys rolling down without uh, him. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty dark and I was sad. The next thing I have is that Ra is still mad at Daniel and O'Neill is still fighting. <laughs> That's so, a pretty, yeah. good, pretty good summary. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Showery, Showery is alive again. Okay. Ra is, in fact, still ang- angry and... This is a very long fight that we have going on <laughs> between O'Neill and the and the other guy. Yeah. We do see here that we have two minutes left on the bomb. Don't yes, do and O'Neill kills the guard, right? Yes. By decapitating him. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. Okay. In um, O'Neill's fight with the guard, he has realized that the uh, the the thing that recalls the the transporter beam is actually like a button on his wrist. Oh yeah! And so he tack- he's managed to tackle the guy to the ground at this point, and he smashes on the button, and uh, the transporter comes down and lands just That's on right. the guy's yes. neck at this point. Give my um, regards to King Tut, asshole. <laughs> And uh, so just the head is transported up. And meanwhile, Daniel and Showery have noticed that the transporter has been activated and uh, jumped in it and are transported okay. down to the Stargate. Yeah. O'Neill realizes at this point that there's no way that all of the, the Earthlings are going to be able to get back through the gate in time. So he starts trying to dismantle the bomb yeah. and we go back outside to the, the fighting that is still ongoing. Yep. And he's having some problems deactivating that bomb. He sure yeah. is. So we have victory happening outside. Hooray. Woo! But the bomb is still counting down despite all of O'Neill's best efforts in inside. Yeah. Ra at this point realizing that the, the locals have won outside is so pissed. Yeah. And uh, puts up the landing gear on his uh, pyramid yes. spaceship and takes off. But then they figure out they can beam up the bomb. That's yeah, yeah, because they still have another dead guard yeah. down there. Oh, yes! Or, or possibly the same guard. There's a couple dead guards. Yeah. <laughs> so you can use the the dead guard to beam up the bomb. Mm-hmm. And they take out Ra. Yeah, that is, uh, yeah. That is exactly His right. eyes so glowy before he dies. They are so glowy. Yeah. And then, boom, then that there was, was much, much rejoicing. Yeah. Yay! Kids salute O'Neal. Daniel decides he's going to stay with his new wife. And his new family and people. And the soldiers all decide to go. O'Neill gets to go home too because he also, he did not have to commit suicide to complete his mission. Right. They kind of imply at the end with the conversation with Daniel and O'Neill. I'm going to be all right. How about you? Yeah. Because suicidal depression is that easy to fix. Like, they, they imply that he's suddenly all better. You just have uh, to set off a nuclear a weapon and you're all set. I feel like <laughs> yeah, this yeah, could be... Well, I guess that's true. Yeah. I can't believe this I... therapy hasn't been more widely adopted. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be widely prescribed, yeah. but maybe it's really successful. 
before O'Neill goes through, he does give uh, Catherine's amulet back to O'Neill ah, to, yes. to return to her. And we exit on the roller coaster uh, and fade to the scene where it literally says the end. Yes. And that is the end of the movie. I like when people tell me when it ends because sometimes yes, you just don't know. You, never know. <laughs> you might not know. It's the end. Actually, there are a lot of movies that I can think of where they would like fade out and I thought it was the end and then it wasn't. And I was like, when is this going to end? That is not the case with this no. movie. Great movie. Yeah. I make fun of it a lot, but I love I, it. Yeah, I enjoy it quite a lot. Now, I, the other notes I have, I'm like, why do I still have a whole page of notes? And it's random notes about things. Like, I looked up, the, I was reading the credits. That's what I was doing. I actually oh, okay. sat through the yeah, credits. Yeah, should totally talk about that, because I yeah, didn't. Yeah, so, like, I, like, the robot that they sent through to do, like, the recon at the beginning was, it looks like it was called a Hasbot robot, and they borrowed it oh. from NASA. Really? Yeah. So it was an That's actual really cool. thing. Um, and it, it, and I think when I was Googling it a little bit, it looked like it was still um, a thing. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's probably like the things that they used to like dismantle bombs and stuff. I would. It, it definitely. Uh, I thought it was a prop, but. That's yeah. Awesome. It definitely looks like the, those kinds of things. Right. Yeah. Because I was trying to, and then it, then it sent me down this rabbit hole of trying to look up. Um, this is so off the topic. <laughs> of. Go for it. Uh, Years and years ago, there was a box of books someone left in um, Bindeke Plaza at Yale, which and uh, they had to call in a bomb squad for it. And it just <laughs> and they they had I don't know if they had the robot, but I just remember being like, I think I saw pictures. I think there was a robot, um, but I couldn't find the picture after that, unfortunately. I, um, I think it was too long ago. And the only the only reason I even remember this is because it's tied into this stupid book. I'm sorry, I apologize if anyone's ever oh, read it and uh, actually <laughs> likes it. But there's this guy who self-publishes these really crazy-ass books. Um, the first one he wrote, I think, is called Wild Animus. And he paid people to like distribute them on college campuses and stuff. And he's done that with subsequent publications, too. I've tr- That's disturbing. Yeah, it's weird. And I tried to read them, and I don't think they're very readable, but... Um, it just cracks me up because that's what was in the box. Like they they had been distributing those books and they just left a box. <laughs> that's so weird. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> that's a good. I like that tangent. That's a good tangent. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I also learned there was a Secrets of the Stargate interactive CD-ROM that you could get, but I was not able to find anywhere online oh. where I could find all the content of it these days. I think you can still that been awesome. buy it. You know off of i don't know ebay or some sort of second market thing but would you have you probably need at this point some sort of emulator to watch i don't use it yeah i have no idea how i would even use a cd-rom these days like i don't my my computer certainly cannot (laughs) (laughs) no and like even with older like yeah even it's probably so old that even if you had a dvd player on your computer it's too old to (laughs) you know but I know some guys. I know some IT guys. That's true. I, uh, that's true. You uh, probably happen to be married one, and I imagine <laughs> that he has access to things that I would not even know exist. So yeah. if we could find it, I would think he could probably figure something out for yeah. us. My other takeaways from the uh, credits uh, <laughs> were that was that the masked raw was a different person than unmasked raw. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that yeah. either. Um, I. Don't think did I write down both of their names? I don't think I did, but I read I saw that and was like, huh, interesting. I did not know that. Um, James Spader had two stunt doubles. Kurt Russell had one. 
<laughs> These are important. Fun fact, <laughs> fun fact about James Spader. He did not like this movie and he did not want to do it. Really? Mm-hmm. Then why did he do it? Money. Uh, fair enough. I... I mean, you can't blame him. He, he wanted a job. True. But he, uh, he supposedly was not a fan of the, of the script or the movie okay. itself. Okay. Okay. Huh. Oh, I wrote. I actually wrote down the person who wrote designed the headdresses because I was like, "You're pretty awesome." Yeah, that person is good at their job. I don't want to. I I wrote it down and it's messed up, but it, I think it's Patrick Tatopoulos. I want to say, hmm. but yeah, nice, good job, so Patrick. good job. Yeah, that's probably about all I have on that. But <sighs> yeah, very cool. My fun facts for today. I overall, I really like this movie, but it is drastically different from the tv show in yes. in important ways yes yeah we, we do have a couple of the same actors um like the actor that plays the leader and i'm totally blanking on both the actor and the the character's name yeah um is it also plays the same character in the show yes you know daniel o'neill and showery are all in the show but other than that it's pretty drastically different scara um, is in both Oh, that's yeah. right. Scara, the actor yeah. and the character. Yes, the is actor is the same for that one. I think he's one of the yeah. very few actors that was in both. Mm-hmm. And then I think our takeaway from this is supposed to be that all of these people, the guards and everybody are human, but that is not the case in the show either. Right. Yes. Yes. And uh, we know that Ra was, Ra supposedly was, was in a human body, but the, you know, forwarding ahead to, to the series the the deity like characters that that are in the series are not inhabiting human bodies right yeah so there's there are marked differences between them but i like them both <laughs> i do too and for different yeah. reasons you know when the um when the series first came out i loved the movie so much that i actually refused to watch the series because i thought that they would just butcher it um and, and basically I thought that they probably wouldn't be able to do the movie enough justice and that I wouldn't like the series. So it wasn't actually until several years after the show went off the air that I even started watching it. And then I was actually surprised at how much I really did uh, enjoy it yeah. for the most part. And so now, of course, I've watched all of it and I'm trying to make a podcast about it. Yeah, the, I same. I didn't watch it when it was on. Uh, I mean, I saw the movie at the time it came out, right? And then mm-hmm. um, I think when the show came on, I was probably going through a, ugh, that's so nerdy phase. Why would I do that? I don't know. <laughs> rejecting my my true self and all of rejecting my loves. Your inner nerd yeah. that you now embrace. <laughs> so I didn't watch it until many years later. Mm-hmm. I think I have some hot takes on it on my Twitter feed buried in there in the past. The first time <laughs> I was going through. Um, I wonder if I should dig those up. You should. Oh, you totally should. <laughs> They're going to be great, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> Well, it would be funny to talk about That's them, though. That's true. But, yeah, so the first time I watched the show, Twitter was around, so... <laughs> I don't know how long Twitter's okay, been so, around. Okay, so, yeah, I don't have any idea how long Twitter's been around, but that's that's yeah. definitely much more recent than the show itself. The show itself was, like, late 90s? I think so, I yeah. I say, we'll figure that out, um, I'm sure, when we're when we're getting to yeah. that. But, but, yeah, that kind of brings us to what's next. The, the next thing that we're planning on doing from here is starting with SG-1, and we're going to go through episode by episode and give similar recaps to uh, what we just did here with the movie. Yes. Are we going to try to be relatively spoiler free for each episode? Like not talking about future things or? Yeah, I think we should. Okay. I know we pro- we gave away a couple different like minor spoilers here in this episode, talking about a couple things 
that are that come up later in the series that are not part of the movie but um let's let's try to be mostly spoiler free in case anybody's kind of watching along um and hasn't seen it before yay and is for some crazy reason deciding that they're gonna listen to us while they go through it the first time or some awesome reason because we're awesome or some awesome reason because we are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so the first episode of the series is called children of the gods i believe okay. i think it's a, either a long long episode or a two-parter so do we want to mm-hmm. tackle whatever the whole arc is in one shot if it's two yeah. parts yeah we'll do okay. that why don't we give a recap of that? Yeah. Do you have one handy? Or no, I was looking cool? it up. It's I just actually happened to know the title of the first episode. I don't know. What, Nerd. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm really not one to judge. Oh, well, Hulu says Colonel Jack O'Neill, two L's. It doesn't say two L's. I, <laughs> but I almost uh, I almost specified that earlier when we were introducing but him. Colonel, yeah. Back. Colonel Jack O'Neill, spelled with two L's, leading the new SG-1, tracks Apophis back to the planet Chulak to rescue Share and Skara. That's part one. Actually, this splits it up. So, it, yeah. Okay. And part two, where did you go? Colonel Jack O'Neill, leading the new SG-1, tracks Apophis. Oh, it's actually the same description for both. <laughs> Super helpful. All right. Okay, Great, well, that's good. They cool, don't cool. give away anything. They're not like, partway through, we're going to give you the description for the rest of the... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So all characters that we do recognize, yes. uh, at least so far. Although Except... we have many new ones coming in, including one of my favorite characters coming in. I don't know. But I'll talk about her next time. I don't know. <gasps> Spoiler. I, yeah. Spoiler to her. <gasps> a her? Are there women allowed in these shows? <laughs> like, that was a very... There, there were no super important women in this movie. Just Daniel's but wife. There is but... at least a couple, yeah. or at least one in the show. <laughs> she did teach him how to read. I don't know. <laughs> well, he kind of already knew how to read, I guess though. speak. He taught him how to speak? <laughs> I guess that's important. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if we've come across Apophis yet, but... We have not. We no, will, we've only seen Ross so We will far. find out who Apophis is and where Indeed. the planet Chulak might be. Indeed. Neither of which are spoilers, because they're uh, introduced way early yes. on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so I guess that does it for this episode. Thank you to anyone out yeah. here who is taken the time to listen and we will be back with stargate season one episode one and i've already forgotten the name of that what was it children of the gods thank you i'm mary and this is kathy and this is stargating (laughs) with a z (laughs) (laughs) woohoo yay the end yay And now, now the dog's barking, so that's going to help. <laughs> they know. They know they when do. we start. They do know. It's getting hot in here already. I know. I My fan's off, and I'm like, so sad. It's very tragic. Yeah, I turned. We had two. I have two fans, then I turned them both off. So they might be giants. Two songs. Microphone and the microphone. Yeah. One of them was on... I don't know if you really care. I do care. <laughs> Why would they make two? I don't, you know, I was wondering, I don't know. Since we're using a microphone, that's what I'm thinking about.